in Romans, in Romans, the 16th chapter, in verse 16. Romans 16, 16, the Bible says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All of the churches of Christ greet you. For those of you, for those of you here this morning who are part of what the Apostle Paul talks about here in this verse, you are a member of the Church of Christ. Have you ever had anyone ask you why? Why are you a member? Why are you a member of the Church of Christ? What makes the Church of Christ so much different than all these other different kinds of churches that are in the world today? You ever had, ever had anyone ask you that before? You ever had anyone ask you why are you a member of the Church of Christ? If so, then, then let me ask you this now. How, how did you respond? How did you react to that, to that question? I mean, were you encouraged by that question? Were you excited about it? Were you eager and, and, and prepared, ready and prepared to help give them a, a good answer to that question? Or did you get a little nervous and think to yourself, well, well you know what? I don't really know what to say. I don't really know how to answer that question. I don't really know myself the difference between the Church of Christ and, and all the other different kinds of churches in the world. Did you by any chance think those kinds of things when, when asked this question? If so, then I want you to know something. I want you to know that, that that's not good. That, that is not right. That is not what the Apostle Peter had in mind in our theme passage for this series that we're currently engaged in. Remember what Peter told us in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. Peter told us, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always. Notice the word always. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. Notice how Peter says there that if we're Christians, if we are disciples, if we are true followers of Jesus Christ, then we have a responsibility to defend our faith. We have a responsibility to give an answer for our faith. We have a responsibility to tell people why we believe the things that we believe and why we do the things that we do. I believe this is especially true when it comes to telling people why we're members of the Church of Christ. You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not. I'm pretty sure you have. But when it comes to the vast majority of religious folks today, they know little or almost nothing about the Church of Christ. I mean, haven't you noticed that? Haven't you noticed how most religious folks know little or almost nothing about the Church of Christ? They don't know when the Church of Christ got started. They don't know what the Church of Christ teaches. They don't know what the Church of Christ practices. Some have never even heard of the Church of Christ a day before in their lives. 
I actually experienced this firsthand when I was in college back in the mid-2000s. Back in the mid-2000s when I was attending Stephen F. Austin State University in East Texas, I can remember being asked by my friends and even my professors who knew that I was a religious person, hey, what church are you part of? What church are you affiliated with? What church are you a member of? When I then told them that I'm a member of the Church of Christ, they would respond by asking me, well, what kind of church is that? What kind of denomination is that? What does that church believe? What does that church do? What does that church practice? Young people, you ever been asked those kinds of questions by your, by your friends before? You, you ever been asked those kinds of questions by your neighbors? Your classmates, your co-workers, maybe even by members of your own family. If you have not been asked that yet, it's only a matter of time before you're going to be. I mean, if you're being outspoken about your faith and if you're trying to shine your light as a Christian every single day like like you're supposed to be doing, at some point people are going to ask you this. At some point people are going to want to know what church you're part of and why you're part of that church. Why are you a member of the church of Christ? That's what a lot of people are going to want to know. And let me just say that when beginning to trying to help people understand what the Church of Christ is and why we are members of it, the first thing we may need to do with these people is we may need to define some terms. We we may need to define some terms. We may need to make sure that we're all on the same page in this conversation when when we talk about the term church in the terminology Church of Christ. And someone says, well, Sean, what exactly do you mean when you say that? Well, let me give you some illustrations, to my friends, to show you exactly what I mean when I say that. If you don't mind, for a couple of minutes, I want to put some terms, some words, on the slide behind me, and I just want to know the first things that pop into your mind. And you don't have to answer out loud, answer this to yourself, but I want to put some words on the slide behind me, and I want to know the first things that pop into your mind. The terms I want to put on the slide are the terms Mustang, Nail, Bark, and Racket. Mustang, nail, bark, and racket. What were the first things, the very first things that popped into your mind when you saw those terms? For example, when you saw that term Mustang, did you by any chance think of that right there? Did you by any chance think of a car? Did you by any chance think of a Ford car, the kind of car that Zach has in his driveway right now? Did you think about that this morning? Did you think about a Ford car when you heard the word Mustang and when you heard the word nail? Did you by any chance think about that? Did you by any chance think of a sharp, thin piece of metal that is used in construction? And when you heard the word bark, since we had all these pictures of dogs on social media last week, did you by any chance think of your dog? Did you by any chance think of what your dog does when he's excited or angry or, or, or hungry? And when you heard the word racket, did you by any chance think of that right there? Did you by any chance think about tennis or badminton or a sporting utensil or piece of equipment you, you use to, to play tennis and badminton? Did you think about those things? 
Did you think about these kinds of things when you heard those words initially? Well, if so, then I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that you were dead wrong. I want you to understand that if you thought about that kind of stuff, you thought about the wrong kind of stuff. I didn't have any of that kind of stuff in mind when I used those four words. You see, when I used those four words, when I used the word Mustang this morning, I wasn't talking about a car. I wasn't talking about a Ford car. Instead, I was talking about a horse. I was talking about an animal. I was talking about a beast that you can get on and, and you can ride off into the sunset. That's what I was talking about. And when I used the word nail, I wasn't talking about a sharp, thin piece of metal that's used in construction. Instead, I was talking about these right here. I was talking about your fingernails. I was talking about these little things you may chew on and, and, and bite whenever you get nervous from time to time in your life. And when I used the word bark, I wasn't talking about these things you saw on social media all last week. I wasn't talking about your dog. I wasn't talking about what your dog does when he's excited or nervous or hungry. Instead, I was talking about that stuff that's found on a tree. And when I used the word racket, I wasn't talking about tennis. I wasn't talking about badminton or some kind of equipment you use to play those sports. Instead, I was talking about the kind of stuff that's found in my house and my kids are there for five minutes. I was talking about noise. <laughs> I was talking about loud voices. I was talking about the kind of stuff that gets on your nerves and makes you almost go crazy. That's what I was talking about. What I just want you to see is because words have various meanings and various definitions, sometimes when having conversations with people, we need to pause and make sure we're using our words the same way. We need to pause and make sure we're talking about the same kind of stuff. We need to pause and make sure that we carefully define our terms. I believe that this is especially true when it comes to talking with people about, about the church. You see, because the word church is being used today to talk about any and everything under the sun, when answering people, when they ask us, hey, why are you a member of the Church of Christ? If we're going to have any kind of productive conversation with those people, we need to make sure that we're using the, the term church in the same way. We, we need to make sure that we have a clear understanding and a clear definition of that term. We need to make sure that the people we're talking to understand that when we say we are members of the Church of Christ, we're just using that terminology in the same way that the Bible does. You see, in the Bible, in the sacred text, whenever the word church is used in the scriptures, it is never, it is never used to talk about a building. It is never used to talk about a, a religious meeting place like this where religious services are held. It's also never used to refer to some denomination or some social club or glorified religious YMCA. It's also not used to talk about some man-made religion, some religion that was founded upon the teachings of men. Instead, every time without exception, Every time the word church is used in the Bible, it is always used to refer to people. It is always used to refer to people. Specifically, it is always used to refer to the people of God. 
is always used to refer to the people of Jesus, is always used to refer to the people who belong to Jesus Christ because they have been redeemed by his blood shed at the cross. That's how the word church is used, going back to Acts. Brother Mike brought up Acts chapter 2. I want you to go back to Acts chapter 2, if you don't mind. You might as well put a, a Bible marker there because we're going to come back to this chapter later on in the lesson. But in Acts 2 and in verse 47, in Acts 2 and verse number 47, when after telling us about the, the 3,000 people who were baptized on the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem after they heard this great sermon preached by the Apostle Peter in verse 47 of Acts 2, it says that these people were praising God. They were worshiping God and having favor with all the people. Notice how they were well respected in their community. And the Lord was adding to their number. Some of your translations say the Lord was adding to the church day by day those who were being saved. Notice how there the church is described as the saved. It's the saved. It is the universal body of saved people, the people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus. That's how the word church is being used in that passage. Now go to Hebrews chapter 12 and notice how the Hebrew writer speaks of the church there. In Hebrews the 12th chapter and in verse number 22, in Hebrews 12 and verse 22, the Hebrew writer says to Christians, but you have come, you've come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Notice how the church is ascribed in those passages. Notice how in those passages, the church is not described as a material building or some religious meeting place. Instead, it's described as the general assembly of God. It's described as the group of people who have their names enrolled in heaven. It's described as the city of the living God. It's even described as the heavenly Jerusalem. That's how the church is described by, by the Hebrew writer there. And another way we can say that is, again, the church, according to the Bible, the church is people. The church is the people of God. The church represents those who belong to God. They belong to Jesus Christ. In fact, that is exactly what this little word of is designed to emphasize in the statement. You see, this little word of in the statement church of Christ is designed to emphasize something very important. It's designed to emphasize possession. It's designed to emphasize ownership. It's designed to emphasize to us that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. Someone says, why does the church belong to Jesus Christ? Well, the church belongs to Jesus Christ because he purchased it. He bought it. He established it through his redemptive work at Calvary. That is exactly what he promised to do in Matthew 16, 18, right? Going back to Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus says that based on the reality that he is the son of the living God, he says, I will build my church. When Jesus talk about, talks about building his church there, he's not talking about building some building. He's talking about building a congregation. 
a body of saved people, a body of people who answer the call of the gospel. Jesus says, I will build my church, my congregation. And in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11, Paul says Jesus did that. Look at that passage, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11, Paul says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There in that context, Paul is talking about the church. And he says that Jesus laid the foundation for the church. Jesus built the church. Jesus purchased the church. In fact, Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 and verse 28 that Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. He purchased the church. He built the church with his blood. And let me just emphasize that Jesus did not build or purchase many different churches. Instead, he purchased one church. One. Not several. Not dozens and dozens and dozens, not many, not hundreds and hundreds like what you find in the cases of all these denominations. In Ephesians 4 and verse 4, Paul tells us there that there is one God and Father, and there is one God the Son, Jesus Christ, and there's one Holy Spirit, and there's one faith, and there's one baptism, and there's one body. In Ephesians 4 and verse 4, we learn that there's one body, one universal body of saved people. And in Ephesians 1 and verse 23, Paul tells us what that body is. He says the body is the church. There is one body, and that body is the church. It is the body of Christ. It is the church of Christ. It is the church that belongs to Christ. The church that belongs to Christ. That's what that terminology means. That's how the Bible uses that terminology, and that's how we're using it when we talk to people about this issue. When we say we're members of the Church of Christ, all we mean is the same thing that the Bible says. We're saying we're members of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, but the question remains, why? Why are we members? Why am I a member? Why are you a member? I mean, are you a member of the Church of Christ merely because you, you want to please your family? You, you want to please your parents? And, and don't misunderstand, there's nothing wrong with your parents being members of the Church of Christ. There's nothing wrong with your mama being a member of the Church of Christ and your daddy being a member of the Church of Christ. That's a wonderful thing. That's a blessing. That is a great gift from God. Many of you know that I was raised with my grandparents in East Texas and my grandmother who raised me, she's a member of the Church of Christ. She's a member of the Church of Christ. She's been a member of the Church of Christ for many years, but my grandfather, who also raised me, and he passed away about a year ago, he's not a member of the Church of Christ. He's never been a member of the Church of Christ. He actually was a very zealous member of a denominational church. He was very hostile towards the Church of Christ, but even if he wasn't, even if both of my grandparents who raised me were faithful members of the Church of Christ, that still would not be a good reason for me to be a member of the Church of Christ. 
That still would not be a solid reason for me to be part of the church that Jesus promised to build. And, and he did build. I'm saying that because I'm going to Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew the 10th chapter in verse number 37. In Matthew 10 and verse 37, Jesus says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross to follow after me is not worthy of me. What is Jesus saying there? Well, there Jesus says that when it comes to following him, when it comes to being his disciple, when it comes to being part of his church, doing so because of our parents, that's not good enough. That's not good enough in the eyes of God. Jesus says he's got to always come first. He's got to always be at the center of the or the core of every decision we make in our lives. We should not be members of the church of Christ because we're trying to please our parents or other members of our family. And we also shouldn't be members of the church of Christ because of the name church of Christ on, on the sign outside the building. We shouldn't be members of the Church of Christ just because of the name Church of Christ on the sign outside the building. And don't misunderstand, while that terminology, Church of Christ, is certainly biblical, it is scriptural, it is language that we can find in the Bible, no doubt that's true, but as people whose chief concern must be to please Jesus, it shouldn't be enough for us just to see Church of Christ on the sign. It shouldn't be enough for us to choose a church just because of the name on a sign outside of a building instead of above anything else. We should be concerned with what's being taught in the building. We should be concerned with whether or not the people inside that building are doing what Paul says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. And that is, are they teaching sound doctrine? Are they teaching the gospel in the way that the Lord prescribed? If they're not doing that, if they're not teaching this book in the way the Lord prescribes, then they are not a true church of Christ. I don't care what their sign may say outside the building. We shouldn't be members of the Church of Christ because of the name on the sign outside of the building. And we also shouldn't be members of the Church of Christ because we like preachers at the Church of Christ. And again, don't misunderstand, being a preacher, I appreciate the fact that people, a lot of people like preachers. I appreciate the fact that you like preachers. I appreciate the fact that you like me and you like Brian as preachers, but... Let me tell you something. Don't you like us too much as preachers? Don't you respect us too much as preachers? Don't you respect us more than you respect the number one preacher, and that is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Those in Galatians seem to have had a problem with this. In Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to my Bible to Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 6. In Galatians 1 and verse 6, Paul told the brethren in Galatia, I'm amazed. I'm amazed, Paul says, that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you. And they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven... 
should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we had preached to you, he is to be accursed, as we have said before. So I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, he is to be, con he is to be accursed. Notice how Paul says that when it comes to trust and faith in religion, you need to always put your trust and faith in Jesus and his gospel and never in preachers. But Paul says that if a preacher or an angel or anyone else is telling you something that stands in direct contradiction to what Jesus says in his gospel, you always go with what Jesus says in his gospel. You always put your trust in Jesus and his gospel, and you never put your trust in a preacher. None of us should be members of the Church of Christ because we like preachers in the Church of Christ. And none of us should be members of the Church of Christ because there are a bunch of friendly people in the Church of Christ. <clears throat> friendly people in the Church of Christ. And indeed, there are friendly people in the Church of Christ. In fact, many of you are very friendly people. M many of you are some of the friendliest people that I've ever met in my life. But I want you to know something. People like that, they come a dime a dozen. Friendly people, they can be found in every kind of church. They can even be found in churches that clearly teach error. You see, churches, while churches certainly need to have friendly and positive people, neither one of those things can ever replace the truth of God's word. That's what Jesus is getting at in John 8 and verse 32 when he says the truth. The truth, not friendly people, will set you free from your sins. Nobody should be a member of the Church of Christ because it's full of friendly people. Friendly people are found in every kind of church. And, and, and you also shouldn't be a member of the Church of Christ because you want to be part of a church that's going to provide recreational activities for you and your family. Recreational activities for you and your family. The reason I put this one on the slide because is because let's just be honest about it, brothers and sisters. For most folks in the religious world today, that's exactly what they want, right? Let's just be honest about it. When it comes to most religious folks today, they could care less about Jesus and what he wants in the church. Instead, you know what they're more concerned with? They're more concerned with what they want in the church. They're more concerned with finding a church that's going to provide for their, their social needs and the social needs of their children. They want a church that's going, to, that's going to socialize them. They want a church that's going to be a lot of fun. They want a church that's going to, that's going to exercise them and, and entertain them and do all kinds of things for them. That really should be the work of individuals. You see, unfortunately, for so many religious folks today, they're no different than those Jews in John chapter 6 who only followed Jesus because he was giving them free bread. He was giving them free lunch. He was giving them free food. But once he stopped doing that, once he stopped giving them the free bread, once he stopped giving them the free lunch, the free food, and he started calling for them to be authentic and genuine disciples, you know what the Bible says they did? They left him. They departed from him. They turned their backs on him. They completely deserted him because their hearts were not really with him in the first place. 
Now, there are other things we could put on this slide right here, but these are five. These are five bad reasons for me and you and any person to be a member of the Church of Christ. I don't care who you are this morning. I don't care how much you may think you know about the Bible. You should not be a member of the Church of Christ for any of these reasons. When people ask you, why are you a member of the Church of Christ? You don't need to tell them any of these things. Instead, you know what you need to do? You really need to only tell them one thing. You really need to only tell them that I'm a member of the Church of Christ. Because I obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I obeyed the gospel plan of salvation. I did the same thing that the people in the Bible did to become part of the church that belongs to Christ. And so I told you we were going back there, didn't I? Acts 2. Let's go back there and let's look at what happened when the promise of Jesus in Matthew 16 and verse 18 came to pass. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my congregation. And here in Acts 2, we find that coming to pass. Acts 2, verse 36, after Peter preached this great sermon about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and being raised from the dead, the Bible says in verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel, this is Peter concluding his sermon, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That's Gentiles. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Verse 47 again. Verse 47, praising God. And having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their number. The Lord was adding to the church. Day by day, those who were being saved, brothers and sisters, I am a member. I am a member of the church of Christ. Because I did the same thing those people did to become a member of the church of Christ. I did the same thing those people did to become a member of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. You see, like those people there in Acts chapter 2, you know what I did? I heard the truth about Jesus. I heard the truth about how he died on the cross for my sins, and he was raised from the dead, and that declares that he is the Lord and the Christ. I heard the truth about Jesus, and I also heard that I'm a sinner and that my sins are part of the reason why he went to the cross. I heard the same message that the people in verse 36 heard, and you know what else I did? I also believed that message. I also was pricked or pierced in my heart 
By that message, and like the people in verse 37, I wanted to know what to do to be saved. I wanted to know what to do to get my soul right with God. I did the same thing they did in verse 37, and I also learned that I needed to repent. I also learned that I needed to turn away from my sins. I needed to have godly sorrow over my sins, and I needed to be baptized for the remission of my sins. I did the same thing, or I heard the same thing that they heard, according to verse number 38. And I also learned that that promised gift of salvation, that's for people like me. That's for sinners like me. That's for people who are far off, as Peter says in verse number 39. I learned that the gift of salvation is for me, and I also was, was baptized. I also was baptized for the remission of my sins. I was baptized just like those 3,000 people were baptized according to verse number 41. And then after I was baptized, you know what happened? The Lord made me a member of his church. The Lord added me to his church, the same church these people were added to, according to verse 47. I became a member of the church of Christ. I became a member of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. I didn't become a member of some denomination. Those were not even in existence yet by this time. I didn't become a member of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church was not in existence yet at this time. I didn't become an X, Y, or Z type of Christian. I didn't become a Church of Christ Christian. Instead, you know what I became when I did this? I just became a Christian. I just became a disciple. I became a saint. I became a follower of Jesus Christ. I became a member of the church. That belongs to Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord may be a member of his church at the same time that he saved me. I didn't have to stand in front of a board of church leaders or a committee. I didn't have to get voted into the church by, by a bunch of educated men. I didn't have to go through some religious ceremony. I didn't have to take a test and answer a bunch of questions. All I had to do was believe and obey the gospel. The Lord took care of the rest. It was just that simple. I obeyed the gospel and I became a member of the church that belongs to Christ. And for those who may want to suggest, well, there's no way that that could be true. There's no way that I or you or any person could be part of the church you read about in Acts chapter 2. I mean, that church is long gone. That church is dead. For those who may suggest such a thing, I will remind you of what Jesus says in Matthew 16 and verse 18, where Jesus says that not even death was going to prevail against his church. Jesus says that his church was never going to be defeated. In fact, the prophet Daniel in Daniel 2 and verse 44, when talking about the kingdom of our Lord, which is also the church of our Lord, he refers to the church as a kingdom that would never be destroyed. He, he says that it was an everlasting kingdom. He says that it is a kingdom that would last forever. You know what that means? That means that the kingdom of God or the church is in existence even on this day. It exists even today. Don't tell me the Bible is wrong about what it says there. 
And so I'm a member of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. But somebody may say, well, Sean, why does all this matter? Why is all this so important? Why did you just spend an entire lesson talking about the church of Christ to a bunch of people who are already members of the church of Christ? We already know this stuff. We've already heard these sermons hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times before. Why would you talk about that this morning? I don't need to hear about that in my life right now. I know this stuff. Maybe somebody's thinking that right now. If so, let me talk to you. Let me say to you that I'm glad you know this stuff. I'm glad you know this stuff and I'm glad you believe this stuff. But let's get off you for just a moment and let's talk about other people. Let's talk about the person here this morning and this large crowd of people who may not know this stuff. They haven't been blessed with the information that you have. They don't know the Lord has a church. They don't know about the terms to get into the church. They may be hearing this for the first time. Are we not to consider those people? Are we just to keep this information amongst our little group right here? Is that what we're supposed to do? What about the lost people who may be among us this morning? Those who are not part of the Lord's church. And what about our young people? What about these people right over here? What about the future of this church, this local church? I mean, are we just to make the assumption that they already know this information that we have known for, for many years? Are we to assume that they know this like we know it? If we do that, I submit to you, we're going to reap some bad fruit over the course of time. You see, right now, you know, we have, we have a spoken understanding about this issue. There's a spoken understanding about this issue. We know the truth about the church. We preach the truth about the church. There is a spoken understanding about this issue. But you know what happens to spoken understandings? Eventually, spoken understandings become unspoken understandings. In other words, since we all know the truth about this issue and we're comfortable with it and we feel like we're above a topic like this, we never feel like we need to talk about it anymore. We never feel like we need to rehearse an issue like this. This is first principle kind of stuff. We have an unspoken understanding on this issue and in process of time, you know what happens with unspoken understandings? Well, unspoken understandings eventually turn into unspoken misunderstandings. In other words, the next generation grows up. The teenagers grow up. They become adults, and they've never been taught this stuff by the previous generation, and so they don't know the truth. We assume they knew the truth, but they really didn't. And so now, they can't answer this question. Why are you a member of the Church of Christ in a biblical way? And eventually that means that unspoken misunderstanding leads to a spoken misunderstanding. In other words, the next generation grows up and they just start teaching flat out error. They teach false doctrine. They teach things that leads the church into apostasy. That's exactly what happens when we assume that everybody knows the truth about a subject like this. And we neglect talking about it from time to time. And so I hope, I hope and pray that you see the importance of a lesson like this. 
hope and pray that if anything, this lesson will equip us to do what Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. I hope it will fire us up about being members of the Lord's church. I hope it will excite us about being members of the church that belongs to Christ. In fact, maybe there's someone here this morning and you say, I'm not a member of that church. Maybe you say, I want to be part of that church. I want to be part of the church that you can read about in the Bible. If so, I want you to know that, that we can help you with that. If you're willing to believe in this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and be baptized for the remission of your sins, the Lord, not me, the Lord, will add you to his church. And you can leave here part of the saved. If we can help you with that in any way at all, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.